just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. From APP.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. That's right, Jersey Jump Shot is back. Welcome to 2021. Happy New Year to all of our listeners out there. We're back after a little two-week holiday break, and we've got a lot to go over as we enter 2021. Uh, Some of the teams we've been following finally played some games. We've had some big results. Uh, We're going to check in on the top 25 Uh, recap some of the things we missed plus look ahead to what's coming up as we get to January and yes January that means March is just two months away so we're starting to get into the thick of things now Ryan Ross here of course with Jerry Carino Steve Edelson and Chris Eisman guys happy new year and and welcome back to the show and we've got a lot to go over today here's the best thing about 2021 I'll give you two things one it's not 2020 get that year out of here (laughs) two is it promises to be a potentially a special year for New Jersey college basketball, which ended 2020 on a huge high note and has a couple teams looking like national players um, and some mid-majors looking pretty good, too. So there's a lot to be excited about in the college basketball world and the world in general. And let's take a look at where we are now to start 2021, Jerry, and, and we'll talk about your top 25. Uh, where does Rutgers come in, and, and is Seton Hall quite there yet to be in the top 25? So Rutgers you know, was 14 in the AP poll last week, even though they, they lost to Iowa by two in what I thought was one of the best games all year in college basketball. Uh, I think they're going to maybe move up because some teams in front of them lost to worse teams by bigger margins. I have Rutgers 12th. Uh, I can, you can make a case for them anywhere between 10 and 15. So, yeah, they're right there as a, as a player on the national stage, no question. Seton Hall's knocking on the door. Uh, they're playing the best ball right now. They've won seven of eight, and they've got three high-quality road wins under their belt. And, you know, they're, they're not a top 25 team yet resume-wise. I test-wise, I think they are, but the resume's got to get there. So, like, one more really good week should get him in. So there's a lot of positive developments for New Jersey's high majors. And I know this is something we want to discuss as well, but the net is is going to be coming out or is coming out. Uh, where do we see our New Jersey teams falling there? And the net in 2021, the 2020 season, uh, may be a little bit different this year in terms of how they how they rank their teams. But what are we looking at in terms of the net? So the net's weird, okay? It's... It's the, it's the main metric that gets used on Selection Sunday in the past to, uh, to, to seed the teams and decide who makes the tournament and whose bubble bursts. But, you know, when it comes out in early January, there's weird stuff in there. It's, it takes a while for the formula to play itself out. So, you know, Rutgers is 17th today, and that, that seems about right. But, like, Colgate is 16th. Boise State is 13th. Michigan State is 119th. You know, Seton Hall's 44th. So I, I would urge fans to take the net 
with a grain of salt until February. But Steve raised a good question. We were talking about this earlier. Does the net carry the same weight this year? Can metrics really be the number one guidepost on Selection Sunday when when the, the schedules are so uneven? What do you think about that? I don't, I don't think there's any way it can because the metrics are going to be so screwed up this year in everything because of the, the way the schedule is, because no home fans. I mean, it's just such a different year. It's going to take a lot of common sense and, uh, again, the eye test, looking at teams and, and making that determination. That, you can't just rely on metrics this year in terms of putting teams in the tournament and seeding them. And the other thing is, like, the net has been traditionally reliant, uh, heavily favoring, weighing road victories. But a road victory this year is not a road victory. Like, Iowa, I give them a lot of credit for coming into the rack and winning that game, but it wasn't the rack. I mean, Chris, you were there. I'm sure it was it was a great game to watch, but there was no noise. Well, exactly. It was a fantastic game, but it's night and day from some of the, you know, the games that we were at last year when it was packed in the rack and you couldn't hear yourself thinking there. I mean, it's totally different. It was, it was, you couldn't even compare the environment. So a road victory, like you said, Jerry, in 2020, it is just nothing like a road victory compared to previous years. And, you know, we'll argue back and forth about the formula and and take a look at it. But for the players on these teams and for the coaches here in the programs in New Jersey, uh, the formula is just win, right? Al, Al Davis, win, baby, win. And Rutgers did some winning since we last talked to you. They win against Illinois. Uh, they lose a tough one at, at Ohio State. They bounce back with a win over Purdue and, of course, that Iowa loss at home. They have Michigan State coming in tomorrow. Michigan State was 17 last week. Uh, Jerry, we don't expect them to be ranked coming into this game. And then they have Ohio State, who also was ranked at 20, uh, 25 last week, probably will be unranked when they come to the rack on Saturday. But uh, what's our outlook for Rutgers um, going ahead? Two, two good teams uh, on the schedule. Before we get into the, the games this week, there's two there's two sort of topics, overhanging topics to address with Rutgers. One is F- Rutgers fans have been apoplectic about the officiating in these Big Ten games. And Stephen Bardo, who's a very respected analyst for the Big Ten Network, really called out the league and its officials, completely trashing them, uh, accusing them of a specific anti-Rutgers bias. Here's what I'll say about it. Rutgers got a terrible whistle at Ohio State. Miles Johnson was fouled out of the game on two pretty bad calls. Very bad calls. Um, Bo Borowski has a rough history officiating Rutgers games. Most teams will tell you this one ref who they seem to get the short end of the stick. It was Jim Burr for years with Rutgers. And now it's Bo Borowski. He was the crew chief of that game. He was the crew chief again for the Iowa game, but which I thought was pretty well officiated, to be honest. Uh, they, they call it a pretty loose game, which favors Rutgers, the more aggressive defensive team. So, so I, I would say the fans who are so upset about the officiating, they do have half a point. You know, Rutgers has not gotten a great whistle in Big Ten games in the past. I don't think it cost him the Iowa game. And we'll just have to see how it plays out going forward. But obviously there's concern there. But I wouldn't set my hair on fire about it. So let's see what happens with that. The second thing is, and this is something we also talked about pre-broadcast, that Rutgers is now weaving in an extra player. Caleb McConnell, who was going to redshirt this year, has now decided to play. He's had a bad back. He's feeling better. So he's a good player. He's a good glue guy. He can help them off the bench. They played him 10, 11 minutes, uh, and, and he played good defense. He didn't shoot the ball well. He has rust that has to come off. So the question with, with Steve Peichel is, how do you integrate an extra player into a backcourt that's really humming along well? There's tricky challenges to that, but 
Steve was saying before, he really likes what McConnell can bring in terms of depth to Scarlet Knights. Well, I, I think that's what they need because you see now on a nightly basis what a meat grinder the Big Ten is going to be this year. It's the best league in the country. You need all hands on deck. And if it means integrating McConnell at, you know, at the risk of maybe costing you a game early on, you're going to need that later on. So I, I think McConnell returning is huge because to me, the, the, the problem with Rutgers is, is, is going to be the, the depth on the bench, and, and he really helps that. Especially when you're grinding through the Big Ten. Now, so it's a long game move by Peichel, and I, I like it too. I'm 100% with Steve. But the issue you have now is you have all these good guards, and you only have still so many minutes in the game to go around. So you have to manage that as a coach. Now, Rutgers has players who, who you know, McConnell's not going to complain about anything. He's a great dude. And for the most part, they have players who are going to put the team first and not complain about minutes. But there's outside influences that get into your ear. And I know what happened last year to an extent. With the guard minutes, it was happening. You know, these things sometimes don't see the light of day. But uh, after the Iowa game, the the Hoboken uh, police chief, who has 7,000 Twitter followers, tweets some angry uh, comment about Paul Mulcahy's playing time. Now, he knows Mulcahy's family because they're, they're Bayonne lifers, okay, Hudson County folk. And so they're obviously aware of that. So is that going to influence Paul Mulcahy? I'm not saying that. But these are the things you have to deal with when you're managing playing time because Mulcahy's minutes went down when the most – when McConnell came in. So that's the challenge of weaving in an extra guy when you're deep. It can be done, but it has to be done carefully and deftly. And there's an argument to be made that, you know, coaches might make these moves and might experiment a little bit more, uh, you know, not saying specifically at Rutgers, but around the country, when you don't have to hear it from fans five feet behind the bench screaming at you, why are you playing this guy? Why are you not playing this guy? So maybe that's something that factors in. But of, of course, you know, they're still going to hear the noise and the chatter on Twitter, as you mentioned, Jerry. But uh, for this Rutgers team going forward, they have Michigan State tomorrow, as I said, and then Ohio State Saturday. What are our predictions and outlooks for that for those games? Uh, Jerry, I know you were saying it's Michigan State kind of in name only. Uh, they're not really as strong as we're used to seeing them. Right. So Michigan State's 9-0 all-time against Rutgers, but they're not as nearly as good as they've been this year. Look, they're still coached by Tom Izzo. They still have players. They're still tough. And their backs are against the wall. They're 1-3 in the league with the one win over crappy Nebraska. So this won't, Rutgers got to show up and play. But they should be a solid favorite in this game. Chris, you've been you've been studying Michigan State. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, certainly I think that Michigan State will be coming in with some confidence after that Nebraska win, no matter how what we think of Nebraska. It's still a victory for them. Uh, A.J. Hogner did give them some good minutes at point guard, the freshman. Uh, he kind of gave them an offensive spark, so I think they're, they're going to continue to roll with him. But I agree with you. I think that Rutgers should be the favorite in this game uh, for good reason. And I think, look, if, if you want to be a team that's on the national stage and really prove that you can be a team that can go to the Final Four, you got to go to East Lansing tomorrow and you got to take care of business and, and get a victory and get your first win against Michigan State. I, th I think that would make a big statement, and I think that Rutgers is certainly in good position to do that against, uh, obviously, a Michigan State team that, like you said, is, has been down, but is, even if it's coming off a win, I think it's still a winnable game for Rutgers. Yeah, this is revenge week. Michigan State, historic, a chance to get historical revenge, and then Ohio State, a chance to avenge that, that bitter taste loss from last month. And Rutgers should be favored in both games. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we will, of course, keep an eye on those games. We'll be discussing that next show as well. Uh, as for Seton Hall, since we last spoke, 
Uh, the Pirates with wins over Marquette, Georgetown, Xavier, and Butler, and just one loss to Providence. Uh, they have a ranked Creighton team on the schedule on Wednesday and DePaul on Saturday, two road games. Uh, what's the outlook for the Pirates, and is it possible that they're better than last year's team? Well, that's a big statement. I'm not going to go there yet. Not yet. But they're different than last year's team in the sense that Last year's team was so reliant on Miles Powell to score. This year's team, yes, they have a star player, an All-America candidate, and Sandro Mamouk Lajvili, but they're not totally reliant on him to score. And if other teams want to take him away from getting to the basket, he's at a point guard's passing vision and touch. So there are other guys who can beat you. Jared Roden is playing great right now. Miles Kale has had a much better and more consistent year. Shavar Reynolds, one of the great college basketball stories, former walk-on at a Manchester Township High School in Ocean County, is running a, a very strong point guard. And Bryce Aiken, the Harvard post-grad transfer from Randolph, who just big things were expected of him. He's been hurt. He's finally showing some signs of coming around. So Seton Hall's really hitting stride, having won seven of eight. Uh, they certainly look like a top 25 capable team. And I wouldn't say le- last year yet, yet, because last year's team was a Final Four contender, but the pieces are coming together. The Creighton game will be interesting on Wednesday because Creighton has had Seton Hall's number, beat them twice last year. Uh, and th- there will be fans in Omaha, not a ton, but there will be fans out there. Uh, this will be a very stiff test for Seton Hall, especially in the backcourt. And I'm kind of curious. I think if they play Creighton well, it's a good sign. I would not expect to win. I would expect Creighton to win. Uh, this is a game where Bryce Aiken, you know, he needs to take the next step, I think, in order for them to keep pace with Creighton's offensive machine. I agree with you there, Jerry. That's a that's a tall order to go out there to Omaha and, and beat a good Creighton team. But then they can they have a bounce back opportunity uh, just a few days later at DePaul on Saturday. And, you know, that's that's a game that's winnable. And, you know, we're not going to chalk up the, the loss just yet for Creighton. We'll, of course, see how that plays out. But that will be a real test of this team. If they do go out to Omaha and they don't come away with a win, how they're able to to respond just a few days later. I'm, I'm sure they'll stay on the road and go right to Chicago after the game and get ready to take on DePaul. But you're, you're right. They're hitting their stride now. Uh, it was kind of a shaky start. They were trying to figure out their identity, but it looks like they have that figured out, and they're playing really their best basketball of the year. Yeah, and DePaul, you know, they've been they've given Seattle headaches in the past. And you, it won't be a layup out there, but the bottom half of the Big East just isn't that good, whereas the Big Ten is this, this incredible gauntlet, really, 1 through 13. The Big East is good, I think, 1 through 6 or 1 through 7. The last four or five teams aren't that good. And, you know, this Seton Hall team showed some maturity by beating Butler uh, on Saturday when they really didn't bring their fastball. Butler's one of those teams that's down. And Seton Hall still managed to win by eight. So that's a sign of maturity, taking care of business. Historically, Kevin Willard's teams have been very good at that. And so, yeah, it does bode well for them. uh, But a two and a week would really show you something. But in the big picture... Seton Hall is is definitely moving in the right direction, and if they can win games when Sandro isn't carrying, you know, Mamu as they call him, isn't carrying them, that's a sign of a potentially a really good team that's going to be a tough out in March. 
That's right. I agree with you. Maybe not necessarily yet better than last year, but certainly different. And I mean that, and we mean that in, in a good way, a different look from what we're used to seeing from Seton Hall. So we'll definitely, of course, keep an eye on that. We'll discuss those results uh, in our next show. As for our New Jersey mid-majors, uh, since the last time we talked, uh, a few of them finally playing their first games of the year. Um FDU losses Drexel and win over Fairfield. Uh, Mammoth, they split with St. Peter's. They sweep Canisius. Uh, St. Peter's gets swept by Canisius. Uh, a lot of interesting results in the world of New Jersey mid-majors. And Steve, uh, what stood out to you over the last week? Well, I think when you look at the national college basketball picture, you see that there is some in- inconsistency among teams this year. You just don't know from game to game because no one knows what's going on really behind the scenes and all, all the things these kids are having to deal with. Take that now and exa- and and expand that tenfold with the mid-majors. You you don't know you have no idea what's going to happen on a weekly basis with these teams. You know you just saw St. Peter's, who we thought you know was going to be one of the best teams in that league, go up and get swept last weekend up in uh, upstate New York. Um, you know Monmouth was was tied for first place going into yesterday's game at Siena. Siena playing its first game of the year, and they beat Monmouth, and they'll play again today. But that, that's what you've got right now. It, it's such a mixed bag with the mid-majors. You just don't know. You know, right now, given everything that's going on, if I'm looking at the MAC, who am I putting my money on? Well, I'll put my money on Patino to come through in these crazy times. But yet Iona is now in its second shutdown, and they don't play again until the 15th of the month. So, you know, it's, it's really tough to, to dissect what's going on with the mid-majors right now. And then you just and sprinkle as, in. As Dick Vital reported, Iona, it was one of the staff members who who got COVID who shut the team down. It wasn't even a player. Right. So I mean, yes. this is this is the challenge, especially at the mid-major level. And St. Peter's did not. Uh, they did not have a good week, Steve. No, they didn't. And again, you know, that's never an easy thing to get on a bus and and go eight hours and then have to play two games in 24 hours and get back on the bus for another eight-hour trip back to New Jersey. So there's that. But still, you did not expect uh, St. Peter's to play that way. And I watched a little of those games. They did not play particularly well at all in those games. So, um, But, you know, again, we still have to sort out so much stuff with the mid-majors. FDU, you know, coming off a nice win over Fairfield. But you know, we we need to see what that team is all about. NJIT, while we were away, got a huge win, a crazy win up at Vermont, you know, which is always a tough place to play. And, you know, double overtime, last second putback off a, a broken play. Um, who knows? That could really, you know, push that team forward. Yeah, NJIT is, is holding their own in the America East in their debut season there. And let's just give them a shout out. San Antonio Brinson. Channeling Lorenzo Charles. Chris is too young to remember Lorenzo Charles. Steve <laughs> remembers. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Lorenzo Charles had the put-back dunk at the last second of the uh, 1983 NCAA championship game. Uh, NC State shocked by Slamma Jamma in Houston. And so San Antonio <laughs> Princeton, it wasn't a dunk, but he put back a layup off of, off an air ball, off a crazy well, scramble. Well, the play. The- the part of that play that was unbelievable was when the kid slipped and from the ground throws the behind the back pass out 
<laughs> to his teammate who gets the shot off. I mean, it was just an incredible play from the start. This is why you love college basketball, because <laughs> crazy stuff happens every week. And, you know, NJIT, there's no NJIT in college football. Like, they don't get they're turning a spotlight like that. But for that for that hour, for that afternoon, NJIT was that clip was the viral college basketball clip in the country. That's what it's all about. Yeah, it was seen around the country. And as far as New Jersey college hoops go, uh, I think an early contender for for play of the year. Of course, we got some time left, but uh, just an unbelievable ending there. And and you're right, Jerry. That's the kind of thing you get in, col- in college basketball. These teams get their moment in the sun, and, and we see it a lot in March, and we see it a lot throughout the regular season. But a, a nice win there for NJIT. And uh, the MAC, of course, always going to be interesting moving forward, especially when we're doing these these two-game series that we've been seeing. Uh, the splits are kind of what teams hope for, I guess. Uh, and you want to avoid getting swept. And if you can get a few sweeps of your own in there, you're sitting pretty. But uh, it's just the nature of the beast this year. And, of course, uh, we'll be keeping tabs on it all season long. As we wrap up our first show here in 2021, guys, uh, what are some articles we can look out for in the coming week? Later so, on today, uh, have... I'm going to be. Oh, Chris, go ahead. Your your ahead, stories Jared. first. <laughs> Later on today, we'll have a story up previewing uh, Rutgers, Michigan State tomorrow night. We're hoping to hear from Tom Mizzo this afternoon. Uh, so check out app.com for that uh, as we preview what should be a, a big game for Rutgers. And I'll have a, a Seton Hall Creighton breakdown. We preview in that game, and then I got a potentially special uh, card up my sleeve for later this week. But I don't want to tip my hand. Sorry, Rye. And I want to say one more thing. I got one more thing to get off my chest, boys. And that is the the NCAA tournament is, I guess, it, there was a news, some news earlier that they, they have finalized having the whole tournament in Indianapolis, in, in, the, in, the, in that city, various gyms, obviously, which I think is great for this particular year. Um, hope to be there uh, covering multiple New Jersey teams. But uh, this, we mentioned NJIT in their moment in the sun and the NCAA tournament everybody together in Indy, which is why this sport is great. It's so much better. The postseason is so much better than college football's. College football's <laughs> postseason reminds you of how great college basketball's postseason is. Cincinnati can't get a seat at the table in college football. The big boys kick the, kick the little guy in the face, okay? Notre Dame gets in. They get their little pass in, and then, you know, they get smoked, of course. Um College basketball, a million times better than college football. <laughs> I just want to get that off my chest. I don't know how Happy to follow that up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know how we go from there, but I don't think there's anyone that disagrees with you for sure. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's definitely there's nothing like March Madness. And, and of course, last year with everything that happened, uh, that was taken away from us. So certainly whatever form it takes here in 2021, whether it's no fans, whether it's, you know, the single site like we're talking about, I think we're all just going to be very thankful to to have some resemblance of March Madness this year. And Steve, any articles uh, for us to look out for? Yeah, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna have something on uh, the Mammoth Siena game later today. Again, it, it's an interesting mid-major matchup. They're, they're two good teams. Mammoth has proven itself to be be a pretty good team. Um, you know, one other thing I do want to pitch is, you know, this week starting today, and we'll run it over the next three days. Uh, we've gone back and researched, and we're we're presenting 80 years of all shore basketball teams. Uh, every guy who ever made the team, and I'm telling you, it is chock full of future college stars 
so check that out. It's very interesting, uh, I think, to look back at some of those names from the past. Absolutely. We'll be, be on the lookout for that. That is great. Uh, thank you all for joining us here in 2021, our first show of the new year. Of course, be sure to subscribe on SoundCloud, Spotify, or iTunes. This is Jersey Jump Shot. March Madness around the corner. We're just getting warmed up here in 2021. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan Ross for Jerry Carino, Steve Edelson, and Chris Eisman. We'll talk to you next week. Jersey Jump Shot is a production of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Subscribe at app.com.